most of us have, but uh, I made uh, just a short booklet put together for anybody who doesn't know what that is. Um, But I'm going to be teaching about faith promise this morning a little bit, and then I'll be preaching for the morning message as well. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where I'll be. And just really touching upon the subject, uh, a lot of my preaching messages that I've been doing, uh, Sunday school been really concentrating on giving, the, the morning messages concentrated on missions quite a bit, uh, but we're getting ready here for the faith, faith promises, so I just want to make sure that I, I teach it as, as best as I know how, that, that it may hit our hearts where it needs to hit. And so uh, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And so much that we desired Titus that he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. And therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love toward us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment but by occasion to the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who had begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, So there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that others men be eased and you be burdened. And I think that that phrase is uh, really important for us to understand. You know, some people think, well, you just trying to burden us with all that. No, he says, I'm not trying to burden you. I'm just trying to encourage you. Verse 14, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much hath nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. It's a phrase taken straight up out of the Exodus, and we'll look at that here in just a little while and as we get into the morning message. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. Again, I uh, pray that you would just help me by the Holy Ghost to communicate the messages you've given to me this morning. And uh, Lord, help me to teach it faithfully in a way that gives you honor, Lord, to be true to the passage of Scripture. And uh, may our hearts and minds be open to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wanted to really particularly draw your attention to the first verse. You know, if we don't get the first verse, we won't get anything else out of this because this is the key to everything. The first verse where he talks about, uh, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, here it is, the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Because really, this is what it's all about. In my Bible, you know, this is a brand new Bible, so I have a whole lot more marking up to do. But 
I would circle that word grace and really try to understand what he's trying to get across to us. This word grace, as we would recognize through the passage of Scripture, that this was something that the churches of Macedonia, in their, as we read here, in their affliction and in their poverty and in their trial of affliction, they were able to give beyond the, the wildest expectation. Even the Apostle Paul was pinning this scripture and trying to communicate this to the Corinthians. He said to the Corinthians, he said, you talked about this a year ago. They're already doing it. And so much so that it would really put us to shame if we would recognize how they gave. And so he's, he's saying that there was no other way for them to be able to do what they did other than by the grace of God. And so, to me, that, that is the key. Because there's, there's, there's some things that you and I, we cannot do except by the grace of God. He gives us the ability to be able to do it. And we've got to recognize that. I believe Paul's point is the fact that these churches of Macedonia freely gave out of their poverty. That's not easy to do. They gave when they were in great distress. They gave beyond their power to meet the needs of the believers. It was evidence um, that these givers who were the financial backers of this endeavor must have been empowered by God's grace to give. And the same grace behind their giving was the same grace that did the sustaining. I think the word grace is amazing in and of itself because the Bible, we understand that we are all saved by what? Grace. The grace, the grace of God. Christian living is only taking place by what Paul would say, I am what I am, but by the grace, grace of God. And he said, I labor more abundantly all, yet not I, but the grace that was bestowed upon me. So we are saved by grace, we live by grace, but we also, here in this passage, understand that we ought to give by grace. And some people have called this grace giving, other people call it faith, faith promise missions giving, and all that is wrapped up into, into this uh, as well. The most lengthy, detailed passage on New Testament giving is is found in chapters 8 and chapters 9 where Paul begins to lay it all out before us and show us uh, that there was a great need. If we would do our research and study this out, we would understand that there were people who were in need in the churches of Judea and Jerusalem, which they were to give toward, and there were people that were hurting, and Paul knew all about this, and uh, yet these Macedonians took up the cause and they donated to, to it as well. Uh, so Paul knowing that this was a need, he was going to several of the churches that were around the area. He probably started in Corinth, went up in all of his missionary journeys talking about the needs that were going on in Jerusalem, and he was trying to communicate that to others. So as he's writing and he's encouraging them to give, and uh, Paul, he had a way of encouraging others to give. You know, Corinth was down south if you look at the geography of things. And Macedonia was up north. Not only would Macedonia give out of their poverty, they've been through so many civil wars and things like that during it. I mean, they were in deep poverty. But the Macedonians were up north, and Paul is writing to those in Corinth, and he says, now, you're not going to let those Yankees out, do you, are you? And he says, you know, you just got to get together. You, you got to get with the program. He's encouraging them. He's trying to exhort them. He's trying to get them to participate in this offering also that he said that you had a mind a year ago to do. So his communication to them provides us with this re rich resource of a truth on the topic of, of giving here. So the primary application is to suffering brothers and sisters, and I recognize that. Uh, you know, it, it would be a miss for me to just try to sidestep or go around this. And so it was for those who were 
who were in need, but it doesn't take away from the fact that uh, we, we are to give the missions because all throughout the Bible it's a New Testament principle. Luke chapter 8, we find out that there are some ladies. Uh, one of them was from the household of Herod, you know, one of the, his stewards, Chusa, his wife, constantly gave to, to the Lord Jesus Christ so he could go out and, and minister him and his 12 disciples, and so they were taken care of by these ladies. Find over in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul himself, uh, th- there were times where he was in great need. Of course, he took care of himself in many instances as he was a tent maker, but also he was supported financially by the churches of Macedonia, and he communicated that uh, as well as well, the churches of Philippi. That's what I should have said. And he said, time and time again, you've, you've taken care of me in my necessity. And so the book of Philippians points that out. First, second, and third John. And Paul talks about how there were many who were traveling preachers and they were taken care of. They would go into these house churches and he says, you've ministered to their needs. You've taken care of them. And if you see a brother that had needs, how, how dare you shut up your bowels of mer- the, the, the love of God that's deep down within your heart. And so he talks about taking care of the men of God as, as well. But again, so there, there are this, the, the, the evangelistic endeavors, the missionary endeavors, there, there are also the needs given to those who, who may be hurting within the church. And Paul says, I'm, I was willing to do that. Find out in Acts chapter 2 where the apostles, where they, the church has started, it formed, and people were coming and laying their gifts at the apostles' feet for the needs of the church. Acts chapter 6, we hear about the, uh, the, the, the Grecian widows who were hurting, and they appointed seven men to go out and oversee the needs of these widows. Find it over in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, where the apostle Peter told Paul, and, and I guess he was addressed by several others, where he says, now, now you want to take care of the needs of the poor, aren't you? And Paul says this in Galatians 2.10, he says, Only they would that I, we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And so we recognize all throughout that this was something that was in the heart of Christians everywhere, that we, we, we are to take care of one another, but we also ought to get out the gospel far and wide. And it was part of the Great Commission, and so Paul was trying to communicate this to, to the churches. And Paul's premise here is that the people who have experienced God's grace whether it's in this saving grace, the grace that came into their heart, where they were saved by the grace of God, to communicate it verbally, to show uh, the same grace that came into their heart, they were to share it so that others might get saved. The evangelistic endeavors, but also the same grace that came to them as was given to them, they were to also show that grace in giving to others as well financially. And Paul is trying to say that same grace that you receive is ought to be communicated to, to others. And so financial giving is one of the ways to do that. Missions is essential to the New Testament church. It was in the heart of the Lord Jesus. Remember the command, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things. Whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He wanted that gospel message to get out. We have much that we owe to our uh, missionary brothers. You know, not only was God a missionary God in sending his son to this earth to die for us, 
But we think about missions and the Apostle Paul was a Jew. This Jew, the Apostle Paul, took that message and he shared it with those who were in Rome. Somebody in Rome took that message and he shared it with a French. A Frenchman took that message and he shared it with the Scandinavians. Scandinavians shared it with the, the Irishman. The Irishman, you know, believe it or not, shared it with the Scotsman. The Scotsman took it over to America. We think about how the gospel came to us. I mean, we have much to be thankful for for the missionaries and the evangelists. Thank God for men like John Wesley who just expended their lives for nothing to do other than to teach and to preach and to get the gospel out far and wide. Few of it, we fail to realize that the open-air preaching was something that was brand new in England during this time. Uh, they wouldn't allow him into the churches, and so he said, I'm not, you know, if they won't allow me into the church, I want to preach in the open air. They stood up on a stump and began to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the common people heard the message and really transformed the, the landscape of the country. It wasn't only John Wesley, but it was George Whitfield who came into America. The first great awakening was started because of that, and he was funded by a lady by the name of a Lady Huntington. Now, I don't know much about her, but she was a widow, and uh, she gave much of her resources to, to George Whitfield and to spread the gospel. And it was said that uh, he would go out and he would preach, and about 80% who were in the American colonies during this time, 80% of Americans during this time heard at least one message by George Whitfield. Moved the heart of Ben Franklin, and uh, I don't know if he ever came out of deism or not, but if he was uh, mistaken, you know, he knows better now, you know what I mean? But uh, many people heard about the work of George Whitfield and what he was all about. And uh, it said by the end of the time of his death, he preached 18,000 messages. Now, I've done a little calculation of my own. I know I've preached over 1,000 messages in just a few years that I've been preaching. Uh, but, I mean, he, he would outdo many of us when it comes to this area of preaching. 18,000 sermons, and again, 80% of Americans in, in the colonies heard his preaching. Somebody had to support men like that. Somebody had to support William Carey. When he would go out to uh, India, I believe. Somebody had to support Hudson Taylor when he went out to uh, China. Somebody had to support somebody like David Livingston when he went down into the deepest, darkest places of Africa. In fact, he was going in and he was cutting his own trails and he was attacked by lions and everything else. Somebody had to support David Brainerd, you know, a guy that ministered close to this area. Somebody had to support men like these and we get to be a part of all that and this is what Faith Promise is all about. It's nothing new is what I'm trying to tell you. It's been in the heart of many Christians over the years and so I wanted you to consider some things with me this morning. Uh, number one, consider the Macedonians. And the grace of God that was upon him. The Macedonians. Uh, Macedonia was a country north of Greece. same Macedonia where the Apostle Paul received the Macedonian vision. Where he was trying to go into several areas. And he was forbidden of the Holy Ghost. And one night he uh, has this dream. Persuaded that this was the Holy Ghost. Uh, really pulling on his heartstrings. And of course he, he hears this guy saying. Come down to Macedonia and preach to us. And. Uh, he was talking to those who were with him on his missionary journeys, and they were persuaded this is where we need to go. And he would go down into the areas of Macedonia and to preach and to teach and to give the gospel. His travels 
in the area recorded in Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17. And so it's, it's documented in many places in the, in the New Testament. What well, from what we could tell in verse 2 of our text, again, Macedonia was on hard times. And yet they sent their support to their fellow brethren in need in other parts of the world. So we see the grace that God bestowed upon them, and their giving was powerful. It was powerful. It was powerful because of their great affliction. It's, uh, I won't go into a whole lot of the Greek, but the word is philipsis. It has the idea of uh, a great uh, a pressure being applied. It's used medically. You talk about your blood pressure, you know, a weak blood pressure or a strong blood pressure kind of thing. It was used of agricultural times. The Latin term was tribu- tribulum, where we get the word tribulation from, where there was this great uh, wheel that would wheel upon the, the, the weed and would crush it. That's the term that's there. It's used of um, the law, uh, the law of England, when those who had will- willfully refused to plead guilty had heavy weights placed on their chest and were pressed and crushed to death in some occasions. It wasn't just a mild discomfort is what I'm trying to tell you. You know, you being crushed, that, that's not mild. <laughs> they, they truly, genuinely were being pressed in every angle, and it was not easy. They felt the pressure and the pain. The church in Thessalonica received the word of God in much affliction with the Holy Ghost. We recognize what was happening there. They uh, the people there in Thessalonica tried everything that they could to try to dissuade them from following Christ and persecute them to the, to the utmost, but yet they had the joy of the Holy Ghost. And that's the idea of what we find here with the Macedonians. Though they are under great stress and great pressure, such as we probably can't imagine, they are experiencing great joy. And you're like, how in the world can they have such great joy when they're going under great pressure? Only God could do something like that. It was the grace of God that was upon him. And uh, it ought to strike us all, you know, as something like, well, how, how in the world were you able to go through that pressure and that pain and those times of hardship with such joy? And it captures the spirit. What Paul is trying to do is capture the spirit of their giving. Because they, they could rejoice. It was, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that, you know, that they could rejoice in tribulations and troubles and trials. When we were in South Carolina, we were accustomed to go into Chick-fil-A at times, and sometimes you would hear these the Chick-fil-A workers, what, what would they say? My pleasure, right? We go down to this one Chick-fil-A, it was in Irmo, and uh, it was set up, we'd go in there, and just we, I would go there on Mondays because it was my day off, and I wanted to go to Goodwill, but in order to get to Goodwill, I had to take the family out to Chick-fil-A, right? So I bring all the kids in there, all four of them, and we set up, and it was just quite the, the ordeal to do. It was a very busy area. And there's this one lady, she just took such joy into going in and serving us, and it just really blew my mind. She was an elderly lady, but yet she, she would look for us every, every time that we'd go in there. Sometimes it was uh, every other week, sometimes it was every other month, but she says, now where have you been? I've been looking for you. I've been looking for your children. Where have you been? I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't come here all the time. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of resource. I can't do this all the time. But yet, she says, well, I've been looking all over for you. I said, this is kind of strange. I'm not used to this. 
sometimes people in the church give to us, and you know what, I say to after, after they, they go, I say to my wife, I say, this doesn't make sense. We don't deserve this. We, we don't deserve this at all. Why would they do something like that? And the only conclusion you can come to is because we we're so loved and we don't deserve it. But it's amazing. It's amazing the joy that goes in behind a lot of this giving. And that's how we are challenged to give, to give cheerfully, to give joyfully um, because of the great things that God is doing in and of our lives. They gave in their great poverty, not only in the persecution and the trials and hardships, but in their poverty they gave. Again, I mentioned the province had already been through harsh treatment by the Romans, a lot of civil wars that had taken place. Christians, because of the persecution, had it worse than any other in the area. To be a Christian during this time was not easy. Remember when they were first called Christians in Antioch, it was a term of ridicule. You know, these hardened sailors are now all of a sudden not so hard anymore. What happened to you? I know what we want to call you. We want to call you a Christian. This stuff doesn't make sense to us. It was a derogatory term for many parts of the year. Peter even says, you know, uh, count it joy when you suffer as a Christian. These Christians here, they, they were giving out of their poverty. Someone once said it's more blessed to give than to receive, but it sure costs a whole lot more. And often the first time, thing to go when times get tough is our giving. It's easy to you know, hide that. No, nobody sees it. I, I, I don't try to look on it. I don't want to look at it, you know. Um, but first thing to go is, is our giving. We say, well, you know, I don't have to give as much anymore because it's hard. But these guys didn't stop in their giving. In fact, it says they gave beyond their power, beyond their ability. The Macedonians gave with such joy and out of great affliction, it captures the spirit of their giving, where it says, you know, they, they, they gave joyfully. But then when their poverty comes, again, the first one, then their persecution, they gave joyfully. That's the spirit. But when they gave out of their poverty, it's the sacrificing of their giving, and it shows that they gave sacrificially. They didn't give because their pastor forced them to. They didn't give because of peer pressure. They didn't give because anybody else was watching. They didn't give because they, they didn't have needs of their own. They gave because they want to. Uh, I probably shouldn't do this because I'm jumping ahead of myself, but it's, it's interesting how Paul really defines the terms that uh, they, they gave out of the abundance of their heart and love. An agape kind of love. A love that gives out of sacrifice, not taking account of their own needs and their own uh, desires, their own wants. Of course, of course, of course they had pressures. Of course they had trouble. Of course they had trials. Of course it wasn't easy, but they considered what was going on in Jerusalem and what was going on in other areas of the world. They said, it's more important for me to give than to hold on to this. They were considering other people and not their own selves. So that was the, 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 the impact in behind their giving. And I only have one word for all of this. When I consider their persecution and their poverty, I say, that's amazing. Amazing. It's grace is what it is. The grace is not just powerful, but it's inspirational. The Macedonians became an example to all those around the world where the Apostle Paul uses it to challenge the Corinthians. And they inspire us even today as it's written within the pages of Holy Scripture that they want to inspire us to give as they gave. 
so it's inspirational to encourage faith promise giving. Paul enlisted as many as he could to come together and to take part in this great need. He didn't want others to be burdened, and uh, he didn't want to, uh, to weigh them down, but he also wanted to take care of the needs that were over in Jerusalem and Judea and that part of the world. And he challenged them. He challenged them. And he answered the call. Set the Macedonians as an example. It's one thing to uh, to say, you know, I, I can do it because I have the resources. But here's here's the idea that's in behind what Paul is trying to do. What he realizes they have given out of their even facing persecution, giving out of their poverty. Here's the thought in behind it: if they can do it who don't really have the resources or the ability, if they can do it, then why can't I do it? See, that's what he's trying to show the Macedonians. See, these guys can do it. God's grace was sufficient for them. God's grace is also sufficient for you. God's grace is also sufficient for all of us. And so it inspired them to take upon them the responsibility of ministering to the saints. And they uh, wanted to make sure that they took care of the needs of the missionaries and, and what have you. I want to move on to the motive of giving. Consider the motive of giving, which is love. I've already mentioned a part of this already. In verses 4 through 8 is really what we'll be looking at, verses 7 and 8 in particular. But it's said that giving is the thermometer of love. I find that to be true. Verses 7 and 8, it uses the word love two times. Verse 7, it says, and in your love to us. Well, let me just read the whole verse. Therefore, as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this same grace also. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So two times he uses this word, uh, this love, this agape love. It wasn't just born out of emotions or feeling. It wasn't an emotional appeal. Uh, one of those kind of things. It wasn't out of familiarity, familiarity or attraction or some of the things that we call love today. I like this. I love this. I love hamburgers. I love steak. I love whatever you love. I love this person because, wow, look, she's, she's good looking. That's what I say about my wife. But love goes beyond that. And it's sacrificial. It's, it's, it's more than what we could really comprehend at times so he says i want to do this to prove the sincerity of your love so if you're going to do faith promise missions giving it must be motivated by our love love for what pastor love for souls love for souls i think about um, how tragic abortion has been to our country i mean it's just horrible when we think about the Killing of all these unborn children still in a womb. We fail to realize the impact that's in behind it. I mean, it destroys uh, uh, what marriage is all about. It destroys the, the sacredness union of it. It destroys human sexuality, period. It really breaks down all the parts, the fabric of our society. It really does. Because, one, you're devaluing life. Two, you're devaluing everything that God set up to be good. And you're trying to do it your own way. And it carries a lot of baggage with it. 
pushes boundaries. It's, it's something that's not good at all. And, um, but in opposition to abortion, I like what Christians do, and I know many people who have done this, it's adoption. It's not easy to adopt somebody. These children, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they're just looking for somebody to love them. They really are. And they, sometimes they go into these hard families. And, you know, they've been put in these homes and stuff like that, waiting for a family to come and love on them. And a lot of times they are very, uh, they, they, they push against anybody that wants to, um, to love them. I mean, people spend a great amount of money for this. I've known a family that spent like, a, I think it was $23,000 they had to raise in order to be able to adopt this, this young child. But again, I tell you, when that, family, when that child comes into the home, there's, again, there's a lot of this pushback. They resist. They, they, they push the boundaries. They push the love. They, 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 they want to see if you genuinely, truly love them or not. So I realize that the cost is one thing, but in behind the cost, there must be love. And that love is even greater than whatever cost you give. You can't put a dollar amount on love is what I'm trying to say. And eventually that child, once he sees your love, not how much you give them, but how much you love them, They'll, they'll break down these barriers and embrace you. And it's, really, it's really amazing to see these children who, who have been adopted to these families let down those, that resistance and finally embrace them and say, no, that's my mom. That's my dad. And they truly, genuinely mean that. And that's what's in behind this area of love that we're trying to get across to us. And when we say, yes, it, it costs a lot, but that, that cost, it was worth it all. When we see the love that's in behind it, this is what we do for our missionaries. We don't know the people that our missionaries are out there and they're knocking on their doors. They're trying to reach them and they're trying to preach them. They're inviting them out to the VBS. We don't know the people that they are going to meet on a day-to-day basis. But when we send our money into them, we say, I love you, even though that you don't even know my name. See, it's not just a missionary. It's those that they are going to reach. I love the people in Mexico. I love the people in El Salvador. I love the people in Ukraine. I love the people in China. I love the people in India. God says, I so love the world. And this is what we show in a way, by way of our giving. It uh, shows that uh, we are interested in what God is doing, and we are interested in praying for them. We are interested in seeing them saved by the grace of God. So love is the motive of our giving. And it's got to be proved. And how else is it proved but by giving uh, to the Lord? We see, first of all, they gave themselves to the Lord in verse 5. It says, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. I've been in uh, the workforce for many, 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 many years. Probably not as many as some of you guys, but uh, I have. I've done I always tell people I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, driving forklifts, flipping hamburgers, um, industrial maintenance. I've, you know, I feel like I've done pretty much everything there is to do. Putting shingles on roofs and, I mean, concrete work and moving blocks and landscaping. I, I've done a lot. I know what it is to go in and just punch a clock. You know, you take that time card, you take that badge, and you put it up, and you just punch the clock, and you go in and do what you have to do, and that's, that's what I, I'm just doing what I have to do. I mean, it's just like, well, you know, they don't really value me as much as I'm just here to get a paycheck. 
When you give yourself to the Lord, you're not there just to get a paycheck. You're not just there to, 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 to get a name for yourself. You're going in there because you are invested. I mean, your whole life is just laid on the line. You, you're giving it all. You're holding nothing back. You're just laying it all out on the field, if you will. It's to present yourself a living sacrifice. It's to lay no claim upon your own life to say, you know, thy will be done. It's to wake up every day and just say that I'm doing my reasonable service. That's, that's how they gave themselves to the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, well, I showed up to church service today. I did my devotions today. I prayed today for two minutes. It's to lay it all out on the field and say, God, I have no claim to my own. My life is yours. I know some men and probably in this room who would say, Pastor, you know, it's no use in arguing with my wife. Now, don't be pointing fingers, okay? No use arguing with my wife. I just say, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, it's easier just to go ahead and do it. <laughs> Sometimes when it comes to the area of the Lord, it's just easier to say, yes, Lord. It's your money anyway. It's, uh, you know, everything that I have comes from you. It's yours anyway. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it. We consider the Macedonians and the grace bestowed upon them. We consider this motive of giving love. We consider the meaning of giving. Heard of a man one time who wanted to get something nice for his wife, and this is always a good thing to do. He went into the mall and Went into one of these apartment stores. This was before Amazon, and he went into this, the perfume department and went in there, and he saw this lady who was a the, the sales lady, and he says, uh, do you have anything really nice? I need something really nice for my wife. She pours out this small bottle of perfume. I mean, it's in this little petite bottle. Probably doesn't look like there's very much in there, and he sprays a little bit, smells it, smells really nice, and uh, he, he's really impressed. He said, oh, I want this one. How much is it? Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks? You mean you got crying out loud? You got to be kidding me. This is highway robbery. He says, you got anything cheap around here? <laughs> Sales lady took out a mirror and showed it right in his face. <laughs> See, giving's not cheap. Giving's not cheap. God's grace is not cheap. For many of us, the most we'll ever be like Jesus is when we give. He laid it all out on the line. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. Here it is, and he gave himself for me. So there's this connection between giving and loving and the two go hand in hand. You know, to be Christ-like is to give of ourselves and to give toward the cause of Christ. It's not some abstract term. Sometimes we look at the word grace and we're like, yeah, I like the word, but I don't know what it means. You just keep on turning into pages of Scripture. Sometimes it's good to just do a study. What does that mean? Grace is poured out of a heart of love. Love in turn gives back because it's not selfish, because Christ was not selfish. We read in Galatians 2.20 that God loved me, and then right after that, again, he gave himself for me. As already mentioned, all, all Christian giving is motivated by grace. It's motivated by grace. How do you give? You give by grace. The Lord Jesus Christ became poor that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. And sometimes when we, 
again, you read that and you say, well, what does that mean? Go back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where God humbled himself. And he took upon the lowest position in all this earth, came in a family that didn't have hardly anything. A people in a place that was despised came to be mocked and ridiculed and rejected by his own and, and then go to a cross and give himself obediently to that cross that men might be saved through him. That's what it means. Romans chapter 10, verse 12, the same Lord who over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as riches lies in our redemption, we benefited from that. But he paid it in his own blood. It wasn't cheap. It's called the precious blood of Christ. The reason why people call this grace giving instead of faith promise giving is because of that word grace, because of what grace does, because of what it means, and because of what it's all about. We know more about falling gracefully, don't we? You see these people when they they go and they trip and they try to play it off. (laughs) And it kind of looks good. You're like, ah. But we know very little sometimes about giving gracefully. Falling gracefully, that's by accident. You know, you didn't intend for that to happen, but if you give gracefully, that's on purpose. You got to have the intent behind it. You got to have love behind it. So we consider this last point, and then we'll close. Consider the matter of giving. It's a blessing, not a burden. I'll just cut to the chase and use these three words to find here. Verses 12 through 15, what, the first word I'm going to use is voluntarily. It says, For if there first be a willing mind, is accepted according to what a man hath, not according to what he doesn't have. Listen, I know that not everybody in the room has a whole lot of money. Some people can only give a dollar. Some people give a hundred dollars. Very few people can take that extra step, maybe give a thousand dollars. But if all you got is a dollar, that's all you know. Give voluntarily what you do have. He's not asking for what you don't have. He's asking for what you, you do have. You can only do what you can do. The second word is proportionality. He uses the word equality within the scriptures in verse 14. I remember being in Bible college and hearing about everybody else who was benefiting. Uh, you know, they'll go up and they'll give their testimony. Somebody put such and such amount of dollars on my bill. And I thought to myself, I wonder why nobody does that for me. I was in my freshman year, and I was struggling, and I, I mean, I had worked for what I paid toward my own bill. And one day, you know, I mean, in, in, Ambassador, you don't take finals unless you, your bill is paid in full. That's the way they do it. You want to graduate without any debt whatsoever. That's the way they, they laid out. Came close to finals, and they got some little paper in the mail that says, yeah, go see the, the, the finance office. Show up at the finance office with fear and trepidation. I'm like, oh, what's this all about? You know, I apologize. I'm doing what I can. I'm trying to work, and I'm trying to make the bills and what have you. Says, uh, oh, we got something for you. Somebody's put money on your account, but here's the thing. You need to memorize this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14. Read it here within our text, but by inequality now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance may be a supply for your want, that there may be inequality. And to tell you the truth, I didn't understand it back then. I was thankful for the money. I gave testimonies and thanked the Lord. Somebody blessed me and helped me. Later on, I realized why they were helping me so I could go out and get the gospel message to everybody else. 
so that I can bless somebody else with what they've blessed me with. And that's what it's all about. Proportionality. Proportionality. Teaches us also, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give it to your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Third word is sufficiently, verse 15. As it is written, he hath, he hath gathered much, had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. Again, Paul is quoting from the Exodus here. Remember, they go out and they would get that man that was falling from heaven. God took care of their needs for those 40 years. And that first week that they had, they had a lot of trouble. They tried to be selfish and gather in more than what they needed. What happened to it? It rotted. It stunk. It bred worms within it. Moses told him, he said, now, don't take more than what you need. Don't only take the amount that you need. Don't be stingy, in other words. When they took what they needed, everybody had what they needed to be full. God had enough for every single person there within the, the, the whole camp. Had enough for everybody. It's really amazing. It shows us that grace shows us God's sufficiency to provide for our needs as well. We don't have to be stingy because if we hoard, God has a way of dealing with us, doesn't he? I'm just saying that we, we would do well to participate here in faith, promise, missions, giving. And let, let this be a challenge to our hearts. As the Macedonians were, may we also be. Because if they can do it, we can do it too. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. Lord, you're so good to us. And I pray you would just bring a wisdom and understanding here to this matter of faith, promise, missions, giving, supporting our missionaries uh, above and beyond the tithe. Lord, we thank you that we're able to accomplish your work only because you've given us the grace to do so. And Lord, may you just help me in this coming hour as I begin to preach the morning message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.